Officer Kim Potter is currently on trial in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, small suburb of Minneapolis. Potter's been charged with manslaughter in the killing of Dante Wright, who was shot by her as he was attempting to flee a traffic stop. The community's on edge as it awaits a verdict in the high-profile trial with fears that the wrong outcome, so to speak, could lead to unrest similar to what we saw last summer. Friends, it is time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. So we have in Minnesota right now a trial that is getting a lot of attention. Here's what happened. A police officer, Kim Potter, uh, was engaged in uh, effecting an arrest of Dante Wright, who was resisting arrest. But he was in a position where he was not posing a threat. And she went for her taser. And she didn't pull her taser. She pulled her firearm and shot him. Now, the facts are not really, as you see here, the facts are not really in dispute. She did not have justification for lethal force under these circumstances. Here is the Minnesota Assistant Attorney General making an opening statement here against Kim Potter. Watch. This case is about an officer who knew not to get it dead wrong, but she failed to get it right. This case is about the defendant Kimberly Potter, betraying her badge and betraying her oath and betraying her position of public trust. And on April 11th of this year, she betrayed a 20-year-old kid. She pulled out her firearm, she pointed it at his chest, and she shot and killed Dante Wright. She was yelling taser. It seems pretty clear that she meant to go for her taser. There's no way. She had her body camera on. She was a pretty veteran officer. Uh, there's no way that she thought that she could just pull her weapon and use it under the circumstances, right? So that part of it's pretty clear. Why then is it being treated as though this has some kind of betrayal uh, angle? Why are there people that are worried about riots occurring? Um, well, for one thing, uh, you can tell that right now, with law enforcement, once again, in the crosshairs, so to speak, of the left, there's always the possibility of a conflagration of anger in these circumstances. Here, for example, is the Potter defense attorney saying that Dante Wright had to, all he had to do was, well, watch. I'll tase you. I'll tase you. The language was direct, it was clear, it was unmistakable. And all Mr. Wright had to do was stop. He was told he was arrested on a warrant. He resisted. She said, I'll tase you. And all he had to do was surrender. Unfortunately, all Officer Potter really had to do was use her taser and not her firearm. She's responsible for his death. It's just a question of whether there's criminal culpability at issue here. But why is this something that BLM is focused in on? Why are we being told that there is a racial angle to this? Does anyone really think that Officer Potter wanted to murder this young man on video, knowing that it would ruin her life? She'd be taking an innocent life, ruining her own life in the process. It was a tragic accident based on everything we can see, but that's not the way it is being treated by the activists. 
And then on a much less serious case, BLM is also weighing in. Uh, we could get a verdict tomorrow, perhaps, maybe Monday, in the Jussie Smollett case. And BLM released a statement of support for him, someone who is clearly, has been all along, lying. As abolitionists, we approach situations of injustice with love and align ourselves with our community. In our commitment to abolition, we can never believe police, especially the Chicago Police Department, over Jussie Smollett, a black man who has been courageously present, visible, and vocal in the struggle for black freedom. Police lie, and Chicago police lie especially. Now, this is important because this goes to how BLM is trying to undermine law enforcement across the board. Not bad cops, just cops. They'll take the side of Jussie Smollett, who is an unrepentant, obvious fraud and liar, who is willing to exacerbate the racial divisions in this country for his own benefit through a complete fabrication of a hoax hate crime, and BLM stands in support of him? BLM should be embarrassed by what Jussie Smollett did, because aren't they supposed to be focused on true injustice at the hands of law enforcement, at the hands of, or, or, or true injustice that uh, black men across America are facing? No, Jussie Smollett is a fraud and a joke and should go to prison, but BLM stands with him and against law enforcement. Now, in the context of what we're seeing across the country of increasing lawlessness, doesn't it start to make you wonder what it would take for BLM to stop undermining cops? It's not just cops also that we have to look at here and the undermining of them, but the undermining of law and order by prosecutors and by political systems now. You may have seen that Fox News had its Christmas tree uh, burned in an arson attack right outside of its headquarters here in New York City. Now, fortunately, nobody was, was hurt in this, but let's understand something. The arsonist was released without bail already. This is from the New York Post. The arsonist who allegedly torched the Fox News Christmas tree was freed after his arraignment Wednesday night because his charges were not eligible for bail under new liberal reform laws. Craig Tamanaha, a vagrant with a lengthy rap sheet who was known to police, also went on an incoherent rant outside the courthouse. So here you have somebody who is clearly mentally ill, really deranged and dangerous, and he does something high profile, a criminal act that gets a lot of attention, and he's already out on bail because liberals think, they've convinced themselves, this is a better thing for society. This is a more fair thing for society. Meanwhile, in other precincts, other cities across the country, where liberal prosecutors unfortunately have seen now their handiwork playing out, you have more and more shootings, murders, and lawlessness. A 71-year-old Asian man was killed in Chicago in a drive-by shooting on Tuesday. Horrible incident, but unfortunately also one that we see far too commonly in Chicago these days, which has over 700 murders this year. Well, 23-year-old Alfonso Joyner has been arrested in the murder of Woom Sing Si, Joyner had already been arrested four times. Chicago police did not rule out Joyner's involvement in other hate crimes and random acts of violence on the north side. But at this time, police say they don't have any direct links to Joyner in those cases. He's been arrested for gun offenses twice. This guy's a criminal, folks. Why is he out on the streets? And of course, in this case, him being out on the streets led to an innocent man, Asian-American man, killed in what may be a hate crime. But not going to see that splashed across the front page of newspapers across the country. Wonder why? Why no national conversation? 
about the murder of an Asian man by a black man in Chicago. Why isn't that something we should talk about? You have to wonder, don't you? Why aren't prosecutors saying that they will stamp out hate wherever they find it? Ah, because even murder now is a politicized part of our criminal justice system. Very troubling. All right, we'll have more on the rise in violent crime with the Heritage Foundation's Zach Smith when we come back. But I want to talk to you about a potential investment opportunity. If you ever thought about investing in real estate, take me up on this recommendation. Visit doneforyoubuck.com where you can learn more about my friends at Done For You Real Estate. If you haven't checked them out, let me make this easy for you. These guys have found a way to make real estate investing straightforward and their system works. I know because I'm using it. It allows everyday hardworking Americans to finally own investment real estate without all the risk and difficulty of doing it on your own. Look, I can't tell you in strong enough terms during this commercial how important it is you check these guys out. So how about this? If you visit doneforyoubuck.com, at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did with Done For Your Real Estate, where you can hear my personal experience with their company in my own words. I'll tell you about it in detail. Picking the city, the house, getting the broker, the loan, even getting a tenant in place so I get cash flow coming to me every month. Visit doneforyoubuck.com, listen to the podcast interview, and give my friends a chance to show you what they can do for you. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. An uptick in violent crime continues to grip U.S. cities and is putting American lives in danger. While national Democrats continue to blame the bloodshed on COVID-19, the violence is, at least in part, the direct result of a years-long campaign by George Soros to bankroll the election of far-left district attorneys committed to undermining law and order. Joining me now is Zach Smith, legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, to break all this down for us. Zach, good to see you again. Thanks so much for having me on. Chicago has... Over 700 murders this year, not quite its all-time high of roughly 900 from 1970, but a really high number nonetheless. And the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, is finally coming under some real scrutiny, it seems, at the national level, not just in Chicago and in, in the rest of the state of Illinois. Here is her yesterday trying to blame the rise in violent crime on COVID. I want to have you react to it and break this down for us. Chicago is set to pass or has passed 800 homicides this year. Um, your reaction and what can be done to, to well, stop I be, it? I want to be clear, we're not at 800. Um, and obviously, uh, we're working every single day to um, end, end homicides um, in our city. We don't want to see that number rise above where it's at. But look, I've said this before, this is a very challenging time. And I think the crime wave that we've been experiencing, other major cities across the country, like New York, like LA, St. Louis, DC, Atlanta, Denver, and places that don't normally see um, high levels of crime, uh, places like Austin, Texas, um, all of us are, are challenged in this time. Every single part of our public safety infrastructure has been dramatically impacted by COVID. So that was Monday, by the way, but Zach, basically saying COVID? I mean, what, what do you say when you hear politicians, <laughs> prosecutors, anybody involved in law enforcement at the top level and the politics therein, when they say it's COVID? It's absurd and it's insulting to their constituents. And you know what stood out to me, Buck? That list of cities that Lori Lightfoot was naming, do you know what most, if not all, of those cities have in common? They're presided over by a George Soros-backed rogue prosecutor. Kim Fox in Chicago is one of the worst. You know, the police officers in Chicago have said one of the major contributing factors to this, biking, uh, to this spiking crime, particularly violent crime, is the fact that Kim Fox isn't seeking to hold anyone without bail. 
Uh, many of these offenders are uh, arrested and then released right back into the community. Uh, Paul Cassell, a law professor out of the University of Utah, a former federal judge, has done a very good study that says, look, these lax bail policies are in fact contributing uh, to this spike in crime. And that's common sense. Uh, but unfortunately, Kim Fox and many of these other rogue prosecutors just don't seem to care and are doubling down on their very bad, very dangerous policies. Now, a lot of people would see this, Zach, and they'd say, okay, we have a pretty clear idea of how to at least move in the right direction here. And it would be stop with the Soros-backed progressive prosecutor nonsense of let people out, don't prosecute them, don't even cover certain crimes as crimes anymore. I mean, you have talking heads like uh, this guy over at CNN who are trying to say that this is not the formula. Watch this. I mean, I don't know what happened here. I, I, you know, came of age politically in an era where the way to get elected as a district attorney was to to thump your chest and promise right. everybody that you would lock up the bad guys and throw away the key. That's no longer the formula. And talk about Larry Krasner. He was just reelected. I mean, to be fair to him, all these issues were just litigated in the election and he was successful. So what explains it? Well... What does explain it? He, he does, to be fair, he kind of leaves it open there. He's like, apparently that's not the theory anymore. <laughs> well, why isn't it the theory anymore? It seems like it should be. Yeah, I mean, look, that, again, that's another absurd statement. And let's talk about Larry Krasner for a minute, the rogue district attorney of Philadelphia. Philadelphia just passed their all-time high number of murders in a given year. 521 people have been murdered on the streets of Philadelphia this year. That's more than any other year in the city's history. And what really stands out about that is it's double, almost double the number of murders per year the city was experiencing only a few short years ago particularly from 2013 to 2016, right before Larry Krasner came into office. And so I suspect the more the consequences of these rogue radical policies come into focus, the more members of the community see their impacts, the more backlash we will begin to see against these policies. You know, out in San Francisco, Chase Abudin, the rogue prosecutor there, he's facing a recall election. After a lot of the nonsense that's happening in Los Angeles, there are renewed calls for George Gascon, the rogue prosecutor there, to face a recall as well. And so unfortunately, I think it probably will have to get worse in some of these cities before it starts to get better. But I do think we're starting to see many citizens getting fed up with prosecutors not doing their jobs, prosecutors who coddle criminals, and in the end, uh, really leave victims and their families without a voice in the criminal justice system. There also seems to be, even from many elected officials uh, in the government at the federal level, who use really inflammatory rhetoric when talking about criminal justice matters. AOC obviously comes to mind. There are others. Here is Representative Cory Bush, for example, speaking about a life sentence. Watch. We are taking an important step today by advancing this long overdue legislation, but our work is not done. Police violence is a lynching. In the execution, is a lynching. A life sentence without the possibility of parole is a lynching. Every day, hundreds if not thousands of people die at the hands of violence. This violence, we must commit ourselves to dismantling it. A life sentence without the possibility of parole, this member of Congress says, is a lynching sack. Well, I couldn't disagree with that statement more strongly 
than I can you know, express here on the show today. Look, certain crimes are very heinous. Certain actions that people choose to take, uh, if they're convicted, deserve very harsh punishment, including the possibility of life imprisonment without parole, and even in up to the ultimate penalty, the death penalty in appropriate circumstances. And so, you know, we hear these radical inflammatory statements from some members of Congress and other elected officials, but should, what should really trouble us, Buck, is that the Biden administration, rather than using the uh, Department of Justice, their resources to push back against many of these policies, are in fact doubling down on them. In fact, uh, Joe Biden nominated, and she was just confirmed by an evenly divided Senate uh, yesterday, uh, Rachel Rollins, the rogue prosecutor in Boston, who has seen a who's overseen an uptick in crime in the city, an uptick in opioid uh, deaths and overdoses, and unfortunately, an evenly divided Senate uh, with the tie-breaking uh, vote cast by Kamala Harris uh, confirmed her to be the chief federal law enforcement officer, the U.S. attorney uh, for the state of Massachusetts. I want to ask about the smash and grab situation here. We've got thieves stealing an actual ATM here on video. Watch this one. Apurva Patel is the owner of the Exxon station at Montgomery Road and US-1 in Elkridge. He said the theft unfolded just before 3.30 Wednesday morning and was over in less than a couple of minutes. Patel told us he's all too familiar with the ATM smash and grabs lately and thought he was prepared. It was bolted. It was bolted? It was bolted. Both of these machines were bolted on the floor. There's not much more you can do. There's nothing else you can do. They're stealing the whole ATM machine, Zach. They don't seem very scared of what law enforcement is going to do if they catch up with them. Well, unfortunately, this idea that you cannot prosecute criminals, that you can release even violent offenders without bail back into the communities and not have any consequences, is just absurd. You know, and I think the seriousness of this situation is really highlighted when you have the head of the Los Angeles Police Department Union coming out and saying, uh, telling tourists to stay away for the holidays, that they can't guarantee uh, the tourists' safety, and comparing the current state of the city to something like uh, the movie The Purge. Uh, and so this idea that crimes will not be prosecuted, that criminals will not be held accountable, it has real-world consequences and ultimately fosters a culture of lawlessness. Zach. Always appreciate your insight, my friend. Good to see you. Of course. Thank you for having me on. Despite a rise in COVID-19 cases, most kids around the nation are in school for in-person learning. What exactly does that look like? The recent video out of Oregon is giving us a glimpse at the downright psychotic rules some uh, school children are being subjected to. We'll have that for you in tonight's Buck Brief. Right now, I want to tell you about my friends at My Digital Money. Crypto market is heating up. A lot of people want to get in on the action for the first time. They want to invest in crypto, but where do they begin? Bitcoin, Ethereum, did, uh, dozens of digital tokens out there. Well, that's where my digital money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with incredible customer service. They'll actually answer your phone call and help you get started. Your comfort and security is their absolute top priority. They even offer you all kinds of features like a Play Money account, great security, military-grade security, in fact, trigger orders, you name it. Look, go check them out today. You'll see this is the best place to start your crypto investment journey. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. When you were a kid, what do you remember about school lunches? I remember looking forward to, you know, taco day. I remember talking with classmates, asking friends if I could, you know, maybe get a little peek at their homework before the next period. Those are the good old days, right? 
What does it look like now? Kids are finally back in school, which is good, but they're, in some cases, eating outside, sitting on buckets on the cold ground. Seems there's no end in sight. We were told just two weeks ago, uh, or rather we were told just two weeks to stop the spread, and now we're being told, sit on the bucket, eat your lunch, and shut up. We're about to enter our second year of pandemic restrictions. Our society has treated our kids as disease vectors and stolen irreplaceable years from their childhoods. Why should they believe the pandemic will end and that things will get better? I'll break down how the average American school child has lived over the course of the pandemic in tonight's Buck Brief. Look, it's astonishing to see what is actually going on here with kids, okay? Children coming of age during the COVID-19 era are damaged now. The data rolling in appears to reflect that very clearly. Dr. Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General, released a rare public advisory about an emerging youth mental health crisis. Here's a piece from his 53-page report. It, It tells us that symptoms of depression and anxiety have doubled during the pandemic, with 25% of youth experiencing depressive symptoms and 20% experiencing anxiety. Wow, okay. And this is a serious issue, right? This should be something that people are really focused in on. But uh, no, that's not actually where attention is right now. Um, They're trying to make sure they do everything possible to make kids as miserable, it seems, as possible while they're actually in school including masking in places like New York, where kids sit there with masks on for eight hours a day. Now, we have to start to wonder, does this ever stop? Are they ever going to give this up? Look at what they've made our kids go through, the people that have the least political power and are the most vulnerable to the bad ideas of over-anxious adults. Well, increasingly what it seems is that we are now being transitioned. You can see it before you into a forever COVID life. That's what's happening here. Here's the the Pfizer CEO. I mean, early in the week, we're talking about there may be a new vaccine with all new doses by March, depending on Omicron. They don't know. Well, now the Pfizer CEO says a fourth COVID vaccine may be needed sooner than expected. A fourth COVID vaccine dose sooner than expected because of Omicron. Watch. Many countries have given fourth dose to immunocompromised and to special population, I think including the U.S. So if you're immunocompromised, you may get it way sooner than, uh, you may get more than three. Um, and I think they, they, they are having a precaution. I think we, when we see real-world data, we'll determine if the Omicron is well covered by the third dose and for how long. And uh, at a certain point, I think we will need the fourth dose. I have said that multiple times. Uh, with the previous, I was projecting that that will be on 12 months after the third dose. Um, with Omicron, we need to wait and see because we have very little information. We may need it faster. May need it faster. But will we need it forever? Well, here's one thing. They don't want to answer that question. In fact, all they want to tell you right now is get vaccinated and you can go back to work. Here's Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, telling you, vax, 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 that's it. Here are a few key facts that show the economy is growing and recovering under President Biden. Last week, the government reported that the unemployment rate's down to 4.2%. That's three years faster than experts predicted it would happen before we passed the rescue plan back in March. 
How many jobs? We've created six million jobs this year. That's more than any president in history has created in his first year in office. One reason we've created so many jobs, last year at this time, no Americans were fully vaccinated. Today, over 70% of all adults in this country are fully vaccinated. Getting America vaccinated is getting America back to work. You have to wonder, does he even believe the propaganda? I mean, I mean that in all seriousness. Does, does Ron Klain think that what he's telling us is a reflection of the America we are living through right now? The best economy, best economic recovery ever. First of all, they're including a lot of jobs there that have just reappeared because they went away because of the shutdown the Democrats demanded and still demand, depending on how this is going. And remember, the economy would even be worse than it is now if the mandates went through, which increasingly have been shot down by various courts. I mean, here's just an example of a Louisiana business owner that we saw who says, can't afford Biden's mandate. I mean, if the vax mandate goes into effect, they're going to be understaffed. Watch. Brandon Trusclair owns 16 supermarkets in Louisiana and employs 500 people. His suit over the business mandate helped halt the order across the country. And he told us he can't afford to fire workers right now. We're understaffed right now across the board, uh, understaffed in my meat departments, my deli, stockers, you name it. Uh, we're probably every bit of five to ten employees short at every location that we have right now. So um, our challenge is to get labor, not, uh, not laying labor off by all means. Right. So the Biden mandates would make everything for the economy worse, of course. So that's important. And then also there's the issue of they're illegal and unconstitutional. Here's Ted Cruz, senator from Texas, on that. He killed for good. The vaccine mandated is illegal, it's unconstitutional, and it's a grotesque abuse of power. Uh, and I think Biden knows that. I think the White House lawyers told Biden uh, that this is illegal. This will get struck down in the courts. And cynically, I think they made the decision to ram it through anyway, assuming that litigation will take time, will take months or years. And in the meantime, a whole lot of people will obey. Yep. Texas Congressman Dan Crenshaw, by the way, is making friends on the left these days, accusing members of the House Freedom Caucus of being, quote, grifters. Hmm, a little bit of friendly fire going on here. We'll have more on that with the First TV's Rob Smith when we come back. But right now, let's talk about protecting your digital data. Big tech is taking advantage of us. They're mining our data, remining it, selling it. We don't benefit from it. Well, if you really think your emails, texts, and messages are private, guess what? They're not. This is where Secure comes in. Secure's email platform is 100% private. It's Swiss-hosted. They use servers in Switzerland. They have no ties to American big tech companies. But Secure, there's no data mining whatsoever. It's completely private. This is what makes Secure different from every other email and messaging provider out there. Secure is the best email platform in the world when it comes to privacy and security. It's unmatched. Look, there's a reason Secure built their company the way they did. We need to make a stand and take back our privacy from the big tech monopolies. With my discount code BUCK, Secure will only cost you $7.50 a month for full access. That's nothing. Go to secure.com and create your secure email address and account. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off for a whole year. That's S-E-K-U-R.com, secure.com, promo code BUCK. The host of Rob Smith is Problematic. Rob Smith joins us next. During an event hosted by the Texas Liberty Alliance PAC, Representative Dan Crenshaw took aim at some of his GOP colleagues, labeling, labeling members of the conservative House Freedom Caucus performance artists and grifters. Watch. Because I've been in Congress for almost three years now. There's two types of members of Congress. There's performance artists, and there's legislators. Now the performance artists are the ones that get all the attention. They're the ones you think are more conservative 
because they know how to say slogans real well. They know how to recite the lines that they know that our voters want to hear. What you hear so often is not true. It's not true. We have grifters in our midst in the conservative movement. Lie after lie after lie because they know something psychologically about the conservative heart. We're worried about what people are going to do to, do to us, what they're going to infringe upon us. Trouble in paradise and the GOP? Well, let's bring in Rob Smith, host of Rob Smith is Problematic, to talk to us about this. Rob, what's going on, man? Hey, man, look, um, so I saw this clip, and, and with uh, with Dan Crenshaw, the thing is, is that, look, he sometimes tries to have it both ways. Um, he wants to be, he is definitely Republican, he's definitely conservative, he votes with Trump a lot of the time. I remember there was this CNN analysis um, that says that he does vote with Trump about, or he did vote with Trump about 90% of the time. But there's sometimes that need to be liked and accepted by the mainstream media outlets that he has access to that um, some of these people in Congress don't have access to. So Dan Crenshaw has been on MSNBC, he's been on SNL. Um, I think that he was just on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And so I understand his frustration with some of the more radical elements of the party getting a lot of attention and all of that stuff. But what I think he's missing is that we need those flamethrowers in Congress um, that are gonna say something um, that everybody else is thinking, but that also do not care what MSNBC or SNL or The Daily Show think about them. So what do you think should happen here? I mean, there are some people who are particularly uh, upset at Congressman Crenshaw. I think I've interviewed him once. I've had very little contact with Congressman Among all yeah. politicians that I interview and talk to, I don't really know Dan. Um, so I don't really have a dog in the fight here one way or the other. But I mean, calling members of the House Freedom Caucus performance artists, what, what do you think that's all about? What's, what's, the, uh, what's the game plan here? Um, I think it, that it's a little frustrating, I think, and I can understand, like, you have to get in the mind of somebody like Dan Crenshaw. I've spoken to, to the congressman a couple of times. He's a really good dude. I do believe that um, his heart is in the right place in terms of legislating and in terms of wanting to um, protect the values that we hold dear. But there's also an element of what he does and who he is that doesn't necessarily attract the same amount of attention um, as a lot of these people on the right. And look, I'll just say it. He said that you know he had he wasn't really talking about anybody in particular. You know, he's talking about the Lauren Barberts, um, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Matt Gates of the world. This is who he's speaking about. Um, and he made a comment um, after this all blew up because I don't think the intention was for this to go viral in the way that it did. Um, I, I think that he made a comment. He kind of like blamed the media and kind of like blamed the coverage of these comments. But no, he meant exactly what he was saying. Um, and like I said, I think that he misses sometimes that we need that element of bomb throwing and of flame throwing. But to his point, and in defense of Dan Crenshaw, we really do have to look beyond the rhetoric, beyond the social media videos, beyond the tweets, beyond all of that stuff, and look at what a lot of these people in Congress are actually doing. And he does have a point that a lot of these people that get the most amount of attention on social media, on Facebook, um, on Fox News, et cetera, um, are not necessarily doing a whole hell of a lot in Congress. So that's something that we all need to kind of hold their feet to the fire about. Here's Crenshaw talking about how some of the folks out there on the right were all about Trump when it was good, but weren't really with him in the beginning as much. Watch this. In the first two years of Trump's presidency, when Republicans were in control, 
when every single time we were voting on Donald Trump's agenda, who do you think was at the top of that list voting with Trump, and who do you think was at the bottom? A lot of names you would recognize were at the bottom of that list. A lot of names you would recognize are at the top of that list. Number two is it's probably going to make you cringe a little bit. It's Adam Kinsinger. Voted with Trump almost 99%. He was number two. You know who's at the bottom? Everybody in the Freedom Caucus. All of them. Interesting. More, more shots fired there, Rob. Yeah, more shots fired. But look, you know, the man has got a point. And I think that a lot of it is he's definitely got a point. There is a lot of truth into what he's saying. But there's also an element here that, um, you know, if you follow Dan Crenshaw on Instagram, and I and I do, um, a lot of the comments from the people that are our base on, on Crenshaw's Instagram are actually trashing him. He gets trashed a lot, and I think very unfairly uh, by some of the more MAGA elements of the people that follow people like all of us, right? And so I think that there's probably um, a little bit of bitterness towards that, a little bit of anger towards that. And honestly, um, he's probably frustrated because he's like, look, guys, I'm out here really voting on this agenda and I'm out here really trying to legislate. Um, I'm out here really trying to tell you exactly what is going on in DC and you guys are not hearing this and you guys are not receiving it um, because you know MTG is out there saying MAGA forever or Lauren Borbert um, is out there getting in fights with Ilhan Omar. So he's probably a little bit professionally frustrated that he doesn't get the respect that he feels that he deserves from that base. And, and I think that that's right. I think that he deserves a lot more respect from the base um, than he gets. It is interesting also, I mean, because of his combat heroism and as a, as a decorated yeah. and wounded Navy SEAL, I think the right is very, very behind him to start out with. And so maybe he also has more ability to maneuver and be critical within the GOP than other folks would. Um, but yeah. speaking of professional frustration, Hillary Clinton is still out there, Rob, talking about some stuff, including in her new master class, as if, I don't know, does Hillary not have enough money? Like, what is she even doing? I don't know. But her new master class, she actually reads part of what she says would have been her 2016 victory speech. Of course, didn't win. I dream of going up to her and sitting down next to her, taking her in my arms and saying, look at me, listen to me. You will survive. You will have a good family of your own and three children. And as hard as it might be to imagine, your daughter will grow up and become the president of the United States. Rob? Just, I, I'm sorry, Buck, I just, I get really choked up. Just like Hillary Clinton. This woman is a maniac, Buck Sexton. <laughs> this woman is, like this woman is a maniac. She is so pathetic. She's so. Is there not enough? The weird thing about Hillary Clinton is that there is not enough money or power or attention in the world to satiate her. Her thirst for power, her thirst for attention, her thirst for wealth, her thirst to just be at the center of the conversation is absolutely insatiable. In every moment that passes by, I realize. Thank God, as Americans, that we realize that making her president would have been one of the biggest mistakes in this country's history. And it gives me a lot of pleasure and a lot of joy to know that Hillary Clinton will never, ever 
ever be president. This woman is a maniac. This woman is desperate. This woman is pathetic. And this woman is positively shameless. Tell us what you really think, Rob. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks for being here. All right. Thanks, Buck. The president of Guatemala calls out Vice President Harris, saying he's had no contact with the border czar since June. I mean, what is the vice president doing all the time? We'll get into that coming up in quick hits. I want to tell you again about my digital money. Crypto is heating up. Bitcoin, Ethereum, dozens of digital tokens out there. Where do you get started, though, if you've never invested before, if you've never bought tokens before? It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform that you need to be using called My Digital Money. It's one of the few U.S.-based crypto companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. Plus, they can even set you up with a Play Money account so you can test the market without risking your cash. Look, the crypto market is heating up again. This could be a great time to get started. You need folks who have your back and are professionals. That's what you'll get with My Digital Money. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with Quick Hits. A CNN host says Fox News cared more about its burned down Christmas tree than the January 6th insurrection. And Biden says he's going to make sure Americans pay their fair share for gas. Got it, Mr. President. Yeah, it is time for quick hits. So CNN is a pretty ridiculous place, in many ways an awful place, that is a shadow of whatever it once was. A Democrat cable news network, but at least somewhat sane. It has completely lost its mind. It has no integrity. It has no credibility. And you have to wonder who still watches that channel. I certainly wonder, as it is on in the background when I'm doing radio, here is CNN host Brianna Keeler, for example. Somebody who I wonder why anyone feels the need to listen to anything she has to say. Here's her on Fox and the Christmas tree that just got burned down in front of Fox. Watch. The Christmas tree outside of Fox's Manhattan headquarters went up in flames. It was an act of arson at a time where crime in America is escalating. Now, no one was injured in this incident, but they could have been. This is a serious incident. Obviously, it's incredibly scary to feel that your workplace is under attack, unless... Your workplace is the capital. Then, according to many, many Fox hosts, it's not such a big deal. At Fox, when the target is a Christmas tree at their workplace, it is a sacrilege. But when the target is the seat of American democracy, it's not. That's just so dishonest. It's pretty mind-blowing. Um, everybody who I've ever heard at Fox talking about the January 6th insurrection says anyone who broke the law should be held accountable. Anybody who assaulted officers should be prosecuted. They shouldn't be treated like Osama bin Laden and, you know, held in solitary confinement in Guantanamo Bay. Of course, we never had Osama there, but you get what I'm saying. We didn't take Osama into custody. Point here is, it's just a non sequitur and it's stupid and it's embarrassing that CNN puts that on the air, but that is what CNN has turned into. It's a shame. You know, I wish media wasn't just warring propaganda machines, but increasingly that's what we find ourselves in. Vice President Harris has some thoughts. (laughs) This is always good on GOP voting laws. Check it out. Here in the United States, we know that our democracy is not immune from threats. January 6th looms large in our collective conscience. And the anti-voter laws that many states have passed are part of an intentional effort to exclude Americans from participating in our democracy. In our democracy, in every democracy, a representative government is foundational. And the right to vote is fundamental. 
And so ensuring every eligible American can access that right is a top priority for our administration. Speaking to the world there, one of the favorite things of Democrats is to trash America to the rest of the world because they view somehow the globe as their constituency. It's a shame, but that is something that is very real and you increasingly see from Democrats all over the place. Uh, the president of Guatemala, now this is interesting because we just saw Vice President Harris there. You will recall that it was her portfolio to deal with the border issue, the U.S.-Mexico border. And part of how she was supposedly handling that was to fly over the U.S.-Mexico border, not to actually stop there, and to go down to Guatemala to deal with the so-called root causes of migration. Now this was pretty absurd at the time, but at least you could say it's a strategy. Not a very good one, but a strategy. How much has the vice president done to follow up on that strategy? Well, here's the president of Guatemala. Kamala Harris in June. That's the only one. Th that is the only communication you've had with the Biden administration about illegal immigration? Yep. Does that strike you as being odd? Between my presidency and the White House? Actually, no. I spoke once with Joe Biden uh, because I introduced myself. Then we had the visit of Vice President Harris uh, and on matters of uh, state migration, we had the visit of uh, Mr. Alejandro Mayorkas. But uh, aside from that uh, direct communication, no, we haven't had it. Yeah. They took that whole border issue so seriously, didn't they? They really wanted to tackle it with everything they had. Except they don't because they actually like illegal immigration. That much has been very clear for some time now. The Biden administration would prefer that it continue. They want to at least try to head fake the middle of the country politically into thinking that they want it to stop. But we know they really don't. And that's important to remember as we see this, the numbers, the unprecedented numbers continuing. Here is Joe Biden, speaking of Biden, talking about how he's going to make Americans pay their fair share for gas. Watch. Nationally, prices are down seven cents a gallon and continuing to fall. We're making progress. We're going to keep at it to ensure the American people are paying their fair share for gas. What does that mean? <laughs> pay their fair share for gas? There's a global market for gas. You pay what the market price is. There's all these really sophisticated different um, places where they buy and sell oil futures. There's all these different markets. And, and you know, Joe Biden wants you to pay your fair share for gas. Uh, this is what happens when you have not just an economic ignoramus, but in general an ignoramus running your White House, which is what we have with Joe Biden. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high.